Hello, it's Ben Modell, silent film accompanist and historian and programmer and DVD label and former piano tuner, welcoming you to the Silent Film Music Podcast. This is episode 19, being recorded at the end of August 2016, here in New York. The Silent Film Music Podcast has been ongoing in a semi-regularly scheduled fashion. And when I say semi-regularly scheduled, I mean that every once in a while, every few weeks or so, I post a podcast, I go on for a few episodes, and then nothing for five or six months, just to keep you guessing. The podcast is basically an inside scoop for listeners and fans as to the goings-on in my brain as I prepare for, perform, and recover from silent film accompaniments, which I do as a full-time job, predominantly as a performer, but I also do some recordings for DVDs. If you're just discovering the podcast and are driving across country, there are 18 other episodes to listen to to occupy your time. That's your idea of fun. This started out as a blog in 2006, and it just got to be more involved for me to formulate ideas into words and then type them and then find typos, fix them, posted blog entry, find typos again, find more typos, have regrets, remorse, go back, revise it, etc., etc., I thought, oh, let me see if I can figure out how to do a podcast and just talk. And that's where we are right now. And sometimes I have the mental space to pull together an episode. And sometimes an entire season goes by. On our podcast today, I'll talk a little bit about my experience a week or two ago in Jechen, South Korea, playing for a huge, huge audience on two shows. Uh, My preparation for a trip I'm taking in a couple of days to northern Norway, preparing for a Swedish film from 1915, as well as other uh, work I'll be doing there over the three or four days I'll be performing, as well as I'll be talking about some upcoming DVD and Blu-ray releases that I had absolutely nothing to do with aside from scoring. And I'm sure there's other stuff. As we go along, I'll be giving you information about shows I have coming up. And as you always, there are performance clips uh, recorded live in performance using my Zoom digital recorder. Now, here's something that I... Well, I'm driving to a gig, and I'm it's night... And I, I didn't bring the uh, directions with me. I'm using my phone, as we often do. Uh, we call it, say GPS, but we're basically having Siri or whatever narrate where we're going. And I'm on, um, I think I'm on the Hutchinson River Parkway or Sawmills. Anyway, I, I have this gig in Valhalla. And I, I'm not sure how to get there. And so Siri, I I. I Got most of the way, uh, and then I got turned around, pulled off, got back on as, as I'm uh, getting back onto the highway. And the phone says, okay, in 100 feet, turn right. 
and then you'll enter this highway and etc says okay um and then the voice goes oh, hold on a second and that's something I hadn't heard before. Hold on a second. Usually it's very... So, um, okay, then there's somebody actually listening and paying attention and narrating my trip. And it didn't pick up again. I was waiting, and I get back onto the highway. And now, mind you, I'm on my way to this gig. I, I've been back from Korea, South Korea, for a week and a half. I have this gig. I, I, I'm kind of lost. And the other thing that's going through my head is that the next day I have to fly to Egypt to do a school show. To Egypt. And I know the flights are all set up, but I don't know where the hotel is. I don't have any information. And I've been going through emails and emails and I, I searching like crazy. I cannot find any information. And I figure the venue has worked out the flights why wouldn't they have also taken care of the hotel but maybe i was supposed to take care of the hotel because you know in in this line of work um it's never consistent sometimes the venue takes care of the flights. sometimes you take care of the flights and they reimburse you sometimes there's a package price you have to pay for every you arrange for everything sometimes the venue takes care of everything so i'm looking i'm looking i'm like oh my and i'm panicking because i i am flying out the next day to egypt to do this school show and I don't know where I'm staying. And I do I need to pull over and, and take care of hotel reservations and while I'm on my way to the show at night in Valhalla. And I this is going on in my head. And I realize, wait a minute. I've just gotten back from Korea and I have this show in Norway. I would never have booked a show out in Westchester and then the next day fly to Egypt for a school show. I would never have done that to myself. I must be dreaming this. And I realized, yes, this was a dream. I was dreaming this. And I woke myself up. And that, my friends, is the silent film accompanist's version of the actor's nightmare. Doesn't happen too often. Usually it's, it's more along the lines of showing up for a gig and for some reason the organ console is in the balcony facing the wrong way and I have to deal with it and um, stuff like that. But this is a nightmare I had a couple nights ago. Uh, I finally got a good night's sleep. But that just, you know, luckily I had the presence of mind in the middle of the dream to wake myself up. Realize, oh my gosh, this, this has to be a dream. And I, so, but welcome, welcome to, uh, if you ever wonder if silent film accompanists have their version of a the actor's nightmare the answer is yeah so i was in jetson south korea for three days not counting flying in or out i had a good time i i, I did not have much jet lag it took me a day to get over the time difference but I really didn't have much jet lag, and I, I typically don't. Uh, I don't know if this works for everybody, and I don't know if this is what it is that's working for me, but when I get on the plane, I tell myself it's what time it is where I'm going. And I just keep telling myself that I don't spend any time going back and forth. Oh, it's not, uh, 9 o'clock in New York, and this, and how am I going to, what meal would I be having? It's like I get on the plane, okay, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then I sleep as much as you can in a chair on the uh, on the on the plane 
basically I was either in the hotel or going to the venue, which is by a huge lake. It's a big, big, big arena uh, where I went to the opening night festivities and uh, got to see what the space was like and saw the film that was shown on the opening night, which is called The Violin Teacher. It's a Brazilian film. Very good and film, and I'm sure it'll it'll get distribution here. It's being shown at a lot of festivals. Um, and I was assigned a, a, a translator, uh, an assistant, to make sure I, I got where I was needed to go or make sure I got fed or had some time to go into downtown Jetchen, which kind of looks like a larger uh, version of Flushing, New York. Um, or parts of uh, parts of Flushing, anyway. Well, I'll I'll jump ahead a little here. Uh, the shows I was booked to play are Steamboat Bill Jr. and The Freshman on two consecutive nights outdoors at this space that seats uh, the capacity is thirty three hundred, and we had a, just under three thousand each night. And the big, big stage, and I'm, I hang out backstage with the, uh, uh, Sean, or Sean, and uh, the translator assistant who's been assigned to me, as well as one of the festival's programmers, and the translator um, who's been assigned for the presentation before the film. The piano is a very nice Yamaha C5. It's been tuned. It gets tuned every day. And it's 90-something degrees and humid out, even at night. And so the translator's job is that while the festival program or director who's introducing me and saying, greeting the crowd, is speaking in Korean, she's uh, uh, speaking in my ear in English, so I hear what he's saying. And um, then he was asking me a couple of questions which then I would answer in English, and clearly there are people in the audience who understand some English because I hear them laughing or responding or ooing or whatever, uh, and then the translator translates my answer into Korean. And one of the things we had to deal with is that both of these DCPs have scores on them and consequently also music credits at the beginning of the film. As is often the case, uh, it's not possible to cover the lens or close the dowser as you would be able to with film when you're showing a DCP and there's no way to skip over it especially because there is a subtitle track um, that is separate being projected separately that is in sync with the DCP and if we change the timing of anything it's going to throw it off but I have found over and over over the years that even if I tell an audience ahead of time, I know it says music by Carl Davis, but I always, I, or whoever it is who's credited on on the on the DVD or Blu-ray that's being shown. Um, when I tell people about it, always during the Q and A, people ask me where did I, how did I get the music from Carl Davis? Was it hard to learn the Robert Israel score or whatever? And so usually, what I would say, at least with an American audience, I'll say. Um, you're going to see a credit on screen. Uh, Carl Davis is a real nice guy, and I'm, I'm sure it's a great score, but he's not here tonight. I wasn't sure if that joke was going to translate, but I felt like I needed to address it. Since there was no way to cover 
up the music right at the head. So um, I wasn't. I knew I, I knew I wanted to address it. I didn't have an idea of what I was going to say. And then again, my improvisatory skills, I guess, kicked in. Um, here it is. Here's here's what I wound up saying instead. Yes. Um, in the silent, in, 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 when this movie was made, there were live music. There was live music in every single movie theater, and every musician in every movie theater created their own scores. So tonight, you're going to hear a score that I have composed. 예, 이 영화가 제작됐을 당시에는 영화관마다 라이브 연주자가 자신의 곡을 연주했습니다. 그렇기 때문에 오늘 여러분들이 들으실 곡은 제가 직접 작곡한 곡입니다. But not, not exactly. Actually, some of the music has already, I've already composed some of the music. And most of the score is improvised, so it's going to be created during the show tonight, just for you. 아, 하지만 정확하게 말씀드리면은 모든 게다 작곡된 것은 아닙니다. 이미 작곡되어 있는 부분도 있지만 사실 대부분의 연주하는 부분은 오늘 바로 제천에 계시는 여러분들을 위해서 즉흥으로 연주하게 될 것입니다. And I, I think I don't know if I like that better than the joke I usually use. Um, but I may start using that line now. Now I'm playing outdoors for 3,000 people, maybe 2,800. Um, what was really cool is that the film gets the same kind of laughs in Korea as it does for every show that I play in in the States. I mean, I've played for it almost every month for the last four or five months, and I'm going to play for it again in September. And it's it was different sounding laugh because there's that many people and I didn't hear it quite as well as I thought I might because I'm up on a stage and I'm sort of at a slight distance from the audience but uh, as you heard just now I was able to put my zoom recorder at the front of the stage because uh, I wanted you to hear that sound so uh, here's a few minutes from my live score of uh, Steamboat Bill Jr. This is the sequence when Buster is trying on hats.
performance outdoors in Jechen, South Korea. Yours truly accompanying Buster Keaton in Steamboat Bill Jr. on a Yamaha C5 acoustic grand piano, which was heavily miked, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, I took a picture of it just uh, with the lid up. There's like five or six mics, small mics in different spots in the piano. I mean, it's really uh, heavily mic'd and it sounded well. From, I mean, I, I couldn't hear what, how well it sounded to the audience, but I'm assuming it sounded great to them. I wasn't sure how to prepare. Uh, I kind of figured, well, maybe the laughs will be longer or bigger, or I might have to adjust. Uh, but it actually didn't feel any different to me um, than playing for the film anywhere else. It didn't feel like I was in a giant baseball stadium or something like that. I think the the only thing that threw me, really, uh, at least the first night, was the bugs uh, on the keys. And, um, you know, you spray your hands with, with, with bug spray and... Uh, but there's still these little insects landing on the keys and you know sometimes I'd hit them as part of the music and but you know watching them you know crawl down inside the piano and the piano tuner technician in me is thinking oh god they're gonna have to take out the action and vacuum it all out before tomorrow night's show blah 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 the next night when I played for the freshman I had these wristbands called bugs off which that there was like a repellent on it, one on each arm, and that seemed to keep keep them all away. Um, and I was able to, you know, relax a little bit more. I had done my first show, during which, I, as far as I'm concerned, I overplayed. Uh, it's a bad habit I have, uh, either out of performance nerves or not hearing the audience and thinking, oh my gosh, I have to work harder because the film is bombing, even though it really isn't. And so the freshman went a little bit better for me, anyhow. Um, and uh, you know, as as uh, as I had done the night before, as part of my introduction, I didn't talk too long, but I I had to uh, explain a couple of things, cultural references, so that ga- certain gags would go over better. Um, mainly, the, the I needed to let them know that in the U.S. for about thirteen years, alcohol was illegal, and the way people would drink it, because uh, they drank it anyway, was to uh, buy it as medicine or they would have it in a flask they would carry around and sneak around. So so the, those those gags would go over better. I think I talked about that in the last uh, podcast episode, the importance of giving some cultural context before a film, just so some of the gags that might not go over today go over properly. It's part of my working philosophy that I feel like when the lights go off, I'm working for Doug Fairbanks or Buster Keaton or whoever it is, and they worked real hard to make these films, especially Lloyd and his staff and crew would preview these films over and over and make sure they're exactly right and all the laughs are exactly uh you know where they're supposed to be and if something didn't work they cut it out so uh, for a gag that they worked on that hard to just bomb or die it just doesn't feel right to me or for it to not work as well as it should so I need you know I feel obligated to help them out I had 
played for the film previously and found the sheet music for a song called Freshy, a piece of music that was published uh, to promote the film, a pop song. It's not a very good song, and it's not a very catchy tune, and sometimes I use it when I play for the film, and it it, it didn't come out of my hands this time. I, I mean, it's a very simple melody, not hard to forget, but um, certainly an audience of South Koreans aren't going to know the song or appreciate it. It's, it's one of these things where if it's an audience where they're going to know the piece uh, and it's going to mean something, why, by all means, consider it. But uh, they're not going to know whether I'm using it or not. Even if, I, even if I told them, it's not going to mean anything. Anyway, here is... <laughs> here's a few minutes live in performance outdoors by Lakeside with an audience of close to 3,000 people for The Freshman with Harold Lloyd. Here's a sequence from the football game at the end of the picture.
outdoors in the heat and humidity of mid-August in Jechen, South Korea. Yours truly accompanying Harold Lloyd's classic comedy, The Freshman, playing on a Yamaha C5 acoustic grand piano in front of the largest audience I've ever played in front of. I had a good time. I was well taken care of. I got to eat Korean food for the first time. Or they just call it food, of course. And where better to try it uh, than Korea itself? Uh, met a few uh, other filmmakers. Uh, a guy named Udi Aloni, who's from Israel, but also lives part of his part of his year in Brooklyn. He's got a film called Junction Forty Eight that's coming out at the uh, end of this year. It's going to be released in New York City, I think. He said in December, and I met. Elena Gladkova from Moscow, who had a short film in the festival, uh, who had traveled to Jechen uh, for the screenings of the film. Also, the, the my last night in the hotel lobby, I met uh, a director, a director from Denmark. I'm going to try to pronounce his name correctly. Janis Kosterosmussen, who had a documentary called Cool Cats that I got to see at the festival. And... If it comes to a theater near you, I would highly recommend it. It's about Ben Webster and Dexter Gordon and how they came to live in Copenhagen in 1962 or the early 60s. Um, As a saxophone player myself in high school, I was a huge fan of of Dexter Gordon's playing and was aware of this uh, migration that he had made. I believe also uh, I was aware of Ben Webster's uh, from the liner notes on albums I had, uh, Sophisticated Giant, and I think there's another one that mentioned uh, that was either recorded over there or mentioned this trip and he had come back. Um, but I had never known this story, and the, it's a really well-told story in this documentary uh, with interviews from people who they knew and performance footage and, and these amazing 8 millimeter movies that Ben Webster shot while he was over there. So if you hear of a movie called Cool Cats, uh, do go see it. I am leaving, I'm recording this on August 25th, but I'm leaving in two days for Norway, where I will be the Huspianist at the Silent Film Days Festival, as I am every year. What's special this year is that the cinema, or Chino, as it's pronounced, uh, K-I-N-O, but pronounced Chino, the Vardensteatr Theater is turning 100 this year, and that, so there are some celebratory events uh, at the beginning of the festival that I'll be playing at, on top of the rest of the festival's uh, screenings with local bands uh, accompanying different... Uh, Mex- I think there's a Mexican film and a couple of Russian films. One of the films, the opening night film, is uh, a Maurice Stiller film and I'm going to butcher the name, is uh, Madame de Thebes, or something like that, or de Thebes. Uh, it's from 1915. It's the film that opened the Vardensteatre Theater in June of 1916. And I, I, uh, when I looked at the screener of it, I realized I had seen it, because they, they'd shown it at the festival several years ago. It had been restored in, I think, 2007 by the Swedish Film Institute uh, for material that they had and that Lobster had. And... In preparing for the score I'd be playing, 
I found myself while I had thought, oh, I'll watch the film and come up with uh, mood, mood music and uh, uh, just, just get a sense of the feel of the film. And while that's still in the back of my mind, there became this other challenge, uh, a challenge for me to decode the film, what was going on, and one that I realized that the audience is probably going to have the same issue. Um, because of a number of factors. Number one, it's a 1915 film. And like a lot of dramas from 1915, there's a title that tells you what's about to happen, and then you watch it happen. That's number one. Number two is that a lot of the information is just in the titles. So there's a, and there's a lot of titles and there's a lot of information. So thanks to Google Translate and to Facebook friend Krista Uf Bakstrom, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. I was able to translate the titles. I posted I posted a, a, a screen grab of one of the titles and and how Google, the Google Translate app was able to help translate. But it's a little gobbledygook, and uh, he uh, commented on the on the photo. Hey, I'm Swedish. Let me know if you need any help. And so there are a couple of letter inserts that I just I just needed help on that I couldn't figure out what they were and Google Translate was of no use. So I now I so basically what I wound up doing as part of my and a main part of my score prep was writing out all the titles so I could anticipate and know what's coming up because all the information for the scene is in the title. And the other thing is I made notes to myself uh, as to not not just on-screen action, but the on-screen action that just comes a beat before the end of a scene. Because, also like a lot of dramas from 1915, 1916, a scene will end and it will just cut to the next scene or cut to a title that introduces the next scene. And one of the things that I've been working on for myself that I knew that I did for a long time and I know a lot of other accompanists will do is they'll is, is that I would play continuing the mood into the next scene or into the next title card for the next scene and I'm trying to get better at resolving a musical idea and even you know coming to a, a stopping point like with railroad tracks um, at the end of a scene and taking a, a quick breath and then starting a new musical idea as the next scene or the next uh, title begins and it's easier with a later film because you can tell their scene is wrapping up and there's a beginning of a fade and you just wrap it up and stop and start up a new musical idea even if it's a f film I haven't seen before I can do that but with these films like this where it'll just cut from one thing to a, the, a, another uh, without warning sometimes it'll cut from one scene to another and not just to a title for the audience to know that okay we are somewhere else or the we it's a different time of day or the mood is different I needed to notate okay when he sits down and opens that drawer wrap it up and switch to a new uh, modality for the next scene to help the audience a contemporary audience that is not used to watching 1915 dramas where Again, all the information is in a title, then you watch it play out. Uh, 
just to help them decode and understand what's going on. It's all long takes. They're very well composed. They're not flat on theatrical style, proscenium style, like you see in a lot of American pictures. Um, they're very well composed. Uh, but if there are long takes, so you have to look all over the frame uh, and follow the action. The other issue, and this is a thing where even if you had the original score, it wouldn't help you or the audience, is that because of the fragmentary nature of the surviving footage, there are jumps here and there. Um, there's, I think, at least one moment where somebody pops out of a shot or pops into a shot or appears to, you know, like in Bewitched or I Dream of Genie, just because there's, you know, a, it's a foot of film that's just missing. So the idea, you know, this is the thing that you can do uh, musically is help an audience understand what's going on. And this is an advantage to not using an original score if there is one or using mood cues because those are basically music beds mood music beds um, but by sculpting a melodic line or the tempo fluctuations of the music uh, so that people know where they're supposed to be looking or who's got the ball so to speak in the scene um, it, it'll help the audience decode the story and what's going on without being aware, not not Mickey Mousing or anything, but by where it's necessary, uh, adjusting the music to help a contemporary audience understand uh, not just the action, but the dramatic beats of what's going on is very important. So my prep for the film changed. Uh, and I'm still going to do what I usually do and set moods and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I've gotten a CD of Norwegian folk music out of the library, which I will listen to a bunch of times just to get that flavor in my head. And maybe it'll be of, of use to me uh, during the show. Uh, but these are two facets of, of show prep for that particular film. Uh, the show will also have uh, some newsreels and actualities. Uh, of the time and a comedy short that I suggested because I knew um, that it was a film that had been lost for years and decades and decades and then turned up in Norway a film called A Reckless Romeo uh, with Roscoe Arbuckle and Al St. John and because it it's about movie going and being in being photographed by a motion picture camera I thought that was a, a good fit so that'll be That'll be on the program as well. The following night is a big show uh, for free to the general public of Sherlock Jr., another suggestion of mine, again, because of the cinema uh, link and all that kind of stuff. Our next music clip is from a score I recorded in 2012 for a film called The Spiders. And this was done for a DVD release that Kino put out when they were still just called Kino. Um, they've just released the film again, but on Blu-ray, again using my score. And it's a score that I did with orchestral samples. I don't use them very often. I used to own a very nice Kurzweil PC2 keyboard that had really wonderful orchestral samples. And I rarely use it for scoring unless it's something where that sound or, or a certain amount of intrigue is needed. 
Uh, I used it when I scored Haldane of the S uh, Secret Service with Harry Houdini and The Spiders, which is sort of a early German expressionist version of an American serial. You know, it's made in Germany, but it takes place in San Francisco and different places. Um, that kind of a sound seemed... Uh, it, it added a little uh, Bernard Hermany uh, intrigue to the proceedings. So here, I don't know what sequence this is going to be from because I haven't watched the film since I scored it. I'm, here's a few minutes from my score for The Spiders, now out on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber. A few minutes from my digital orchestral score for The Spiders, or The Spinnen, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, directed by Fritz Lang, or Lang, I forget which is the wrong one, uh, now out on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber. There are a few DVD releases uh, besides that I think I can let you know about that I did scores for, uh, did not produce. Uh, uh, Real Classic DVD has just released a DVD of His People with Rudolf Schildkraut, and I recorded a piano score for that uh, in July, and that is out now. And also, if you backed Ed LaRusso's 
project uh, Kickstarter project for The Bride's Play with Marion Davies. I scored that, and if you're a backer, you have received uh, your copy by now, I would imagine. And I've just learned on Facebook that uh, that film at some point will air on TCM as well. I am still trying to wrap up production on a few of my own DVD projects. I had thought they would be out in the fall, and it's still possible they will come out in the fall, maybe closer to Thanksgiving or holiday time, but I'm trying to wrap up work on Accidentally Preserved Volume 4, a new 95th anniversary release of The Three Musketeers, and of course, When Nighthood Was in Flower, starring Marion Davies. I have booked a show in Los Angeles in March of 2017. If you uh, know of a venue that's in or near L.A. that you think would be a good fit, where they wouldn't mind having me, uh, let me know. Uh, As long as I'm out in Los Angeles, what the heck. Shows coming up in September are at the Silent Clowns Film Series. I'll be playing for A Gentleman of Paris, starring Adolf Manjou. The new restoration of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. That'll be on DCP at the Cinema Arts Center. And I'll be doing a couple of shows at the Library of Congress. Uh, Steamboat Bill Jr. Yes, Steamboat Bill Jr. Um, And a couple of Keaton shorts. And then the next night, or the night before, Kiki, starring Norma Talmadge as Constance Talmadge. Well, that's my theory anyway. Uh, Plus a couple of uh, her earlier short films. There is something I'm working on that will happen at MoMA at the beginning of next year. Uh, I'm working on as a curator as well as accompanist, and I'll have news about that in the next episode. Gentle reminder that everything you have just heard, both the speaking and the musicking, is copyright 2016 by me, Ben Modell, all rights reserved. That means you. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram at at silentfilmmusic. If you're not on my email list, go to silentfilmmusic.com and go to the section that says contact where you can not only sign up for my email list, but when you do, you will be sent a secret link to watch a rare comedy short that I've scored that is not available on YouTube or DVD. Thanks again for listening to the Silent Film Music Podcast. This is Ben Modell encouraging you when you see something about a silent film show, whether you're going or not, repost it on Twitter or Facebook. It helps the ripple effect and helps get the word out. If you go to a classic film show and there are empty seats, you can't say, why wasn't this advertised more? It's up to us fans to get the word out and spread the word. I look forward to seeing you again here on this podcast, on social media, and maybe even at one of my shows. Again, this is Ben Modell saying thanks for listening, and I'll see you at the silence. So long.